Hello, everyone. Welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum at the intersection of finance, technology, politics, and entertainment. Uh, what we've tried to do with these SALT Talks during the work from home period is to provide a digital forum uh, similar to the SALT Conference series that we host every year in Las Vegas and internationally. And what we're really trying to do is provide a window into the minds of subject matter experts, as well as a platform uh, for big world-changing ideas. And we're very excited about another unique SALT Talk today. And we're excited to welcome Erica Nardini, who is the CEO of Barstool Sports to SALT Talks today. Uh, welcome, Erica. Uh, Erica, like I mentioned, is C the CEO of Barstool Sports, which is a very fast-growing media company focused on sports, comedy, and entertainment, as well as culture. And it's known for its unfiltered views and have, having a very rabid following among young consumers. In July of 2016, Erica joined Barstool Sports as the company's CEO. And under her leadership, Barstool has experienced explosive brand and business growth as one of the fastest-growing companies on the internet. It's the fourth-largest podcast platform now in the world, uh, with the number one sports podcast and female podcast, and, the tenth, and it's the 10th largest distributed media company in the United States. Barstool drives 1.6 billion social views and 26 million uh, video views monthly and 11.9 million listeners across all of its platforms, and it, it pretty much owns that 18 to 34-year-old uh, demographic in the United States. In under three and a half years, Erica has grown the employee base at Barstool from 15 to over 200, uh, with this revenue approaching 100 million. Uh, she's launched over 35 brands, including the breakout franchises in entertainment, sports, and sports betting. Uh, Erica was named one of Fast Company's most creative people and one of the most powerful women in sports by Adweek and Forbes magazine. Prior to Barstool Sports, she had several notable positions at top internet companies, including as the chief marketing officer at AOL uh, and as an executive at Demand Media, Yahoo, and Microsoft. A reminder, if you have any questions for Erica during today's talk, you can enter them in the Q&A box at the bottom of your video screen. And hosting today's talk will be Anthony Scaramucci, who once upon a time appeared on a Barstool podcast, pardon my take, which is the number one sports podcast in the world. Um, Anthony is the founder and managing partner of Skybridge Capital, a global alternative investment firm, and the chairman of SALT. Uh, and with that, I'll turn it over to Anthony for the interview. Well, thank you, John. And Erica, I also got to sing Bohemian Rhapsody with your staff, with my White House sunglasses on. Yes. Uh, and so since I can't hold a tune, it didn't go very far, but uh, it was very <laughs> pleasurable for me. So uh, great to have you on. Um, I always ask people their backgrounds and uh, I would just love to, because you know, it's a fascinating story of your life to where you are right now and how you've intersected with Barstool. What attracted you there? How did you grow up? Where'd you go to school? What'd you do for sports? Yeah. Um, so thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Um, I grew up in New Hampshire. I grew up in a very small town. Uh, we basically had a couple choices. We didn't, we had one television and my brother and I had an hour of television a week. So we could fight over that, which we did. You could stack wood, read books or play sports, which is, is pretty much what I did for my childhood. I was a, a big field hockey player. I skied, I ran track. I went to Colby College in Maine, so I went to a liberal arts college. Um, played field hockey and lacrosse there, which I picked up in college. Um, I then moved to Boston. I thought that I wanted to be, I had an internet, uh, internship at Fidelity Investments. I thought I wanted to be in banking or to be a lawyer. 
um, and I got a job in the legal department after I graduated and realized that was a disaster. I was just never going to be a lawyer, and I was certainly not corporate. Um, I mostly went out all the time and then would spend, I'd get my work done in like an hour, and then I would just write stories about what we all did the night before. <clears throat> Thankfully, this was like pre-social media. Um, I then went and worked at a bunch of ad agencies. I worked on the creative and marketing side and then later on in the media side. And I got my first big break really was at Fidelity um, when the internet was really coming to be and no one really cared about the internet. And I got an opportunity to to work in and to, to really help define what Fidelity's internet strategy would be. And then I went on, once I engaged with the internet, I never left. So I've been working in and around the internet since probably 1999. Uh, I've worked at Microsoft. I worked abroad for a long time. I helped take a company called Demand Media Public. I launched a couple startups in between. Uh, I was the CMO of, AM, of AOL, um, worked at Yahoo. I had an interesting opportunity to see all three portals during the portal era, um, which was AOL, Yahoo, and Microsoft. I worked very closely with Google during Google's era. I launched a startup in music, uh, which is really based on social media and the idea of maximizing what was happening with Facebook and Twitter. Um, and all along, I read this little blog called Barstool Sports. I lived in Boston when Dave Portnoy, the founder, started it. Uh, I read it, you know, pretty religiously. Every guy I knew read it. I had a lot of the t-shirts. Um, Dave Portnoy was kind of this Don Quixote type of character. I loved the Patriots. So I loved what he had to say. I modeled a lot about my company in music after Barstool Sports. Um, and I had gone to raise money from the Chernin group, from Peter Chernin and his group. And they said, hey, we've just invested in this company. You're a woman you've probably never heard of called Barstool Sports. I pulled out the app. I was like, this is everything right about this company. Here's everything wrong with this company. Like there's, the technology's janky and they don't know what they're doing with this, this, and this. Um, I left very jealous. I thought that they would find someone, they were looking for a CEO, and I thought that they would find a guy with a business degree who came out of sports or sports media. Um, I met Dave through a mutual friend probably six months later, and to be honest, I never looked back since, and that was, I don't know, four and a half years ago. Well, I'm going to read a quote because we're not that politically correct either, and we're going to talk about cancel culture in a second. Okay. David. David, the founder, said in hiring you, typical irreverency of uh, bar school, we needed someone with big balls, dragging on the ground, alpha male. We have found our CEO, our boss, a masculine boy. Why were you so excited to lead bar school? And what do you say about that in the context of all this nonsense and our cancel culture and the need for all these people to be offended by all these microaggressions. Yeah, um, look, I thought Barstool was a diamond in the rough. I, there will never, ever, ever be another Barstool Sports. And the reason there won't ever be another Barstool Sports is that Barstool Sports was born in a different time when media wasn't so fragmented, when social media really didn't exist. And so the way that the brand was built, the loyalty that the brand garnered and, and has endured and, and nurtured and enjoyed for almost you know 16 years, you 
brands that are being born today are personalities and they have to compete with so much that there is never going to be the type of audience, the type of loyalty, the type of love um, that, that this brand has enjoyed. And I felt that very few people saw that. Uh, there were 74 people that interviewed for this job. They were all men. Um, and I was the only one, 75, I guess, if you include me, and I was the only one that didn't say that Barstool needed to be changed. All other 74 said, what, what are you going to change? You got you to get a little bit more PC. This isn't appropriate. Um, and I really didn't believe in that. I actually believed that what Barstool had had propelled it to a place that was very interesting. And if we were going to take this thing to the moon, we would need to evolve it, but that we shouldn't change the DNA of it. And who was I? I, I didn't work there to say what they should or shouldn't be doing. Um, so what I saw was something that could never be replicated and a brand that understood how to live and thrive on the internet, which is something I believe in. I think it, the internet is all that matters. Um, and it's been incredible. I mean, we've, we've really skyrocketed this thing in four years. And I think, you know, I think to your question on cancel culture, look, part of the reason people like Barstool Sports is it's disarming, it's real, it's, you know, authentic is a word that's like greatly overused. Um, I think a lot of big companies have big conference room meetings with words like, how do we be more authentic? Like if you're in a conference room talking about being authentic, you're not authentic. Um, and what's great about Barstool is we kind of shoot from the hip. We call it like we see it. It's personality-based. It's opinion-based. We're trying to give people an escape from their day-to-day -day cube life or their college life or you know their professional life or their personal life. And we do it in a way that's been a journey and that you know the camera has been on, the blog has been open, the microphones have been on every minute of every day you know, really pretty much for the last 15 years and certainly in a very dramatic way for the last five years. And I think that's what is compelling to people. It's real. You don't know what's going to happen. Uh, it's not always right. And I think that is what keeps us, keeps us so relevant and makes us so captivating. Well, I mean, you, 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 one third of your audience is women. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, you're doing an amazing job in that demographic as well. And so why do you think it's so powerful? I mean, you're, you're referencing authenticity and it's very distinctive, Erica. You know, we've sanitized our language. We have to sanitize our language in the workplace. We sanitize our language on social media. They're censoring now a lot of different bellicosity of rhetoric. So how are you getting the women here? Uh, or what, what do you... What's the sauce, the formula that you've created that these other people cannot capture? Yeah, look, I think when you look at traditional media, you see, typically you see three guys and a very pretty woman at a desk. They're wearing suits. They have a producer and a producer behind that person and another producer behind that. Their media is built with a tremendous amount of infrastructure and the distance between the consumer and the person behind the desk has become very, very far. And when you look at today's 20 year old is, you know, they don't give a shit about what somebody behind the desk thinks. You don't find real people in those positions. You don't find other humans who 
think like you and talk like you. Um, there's nothing that embodies your group of friends or what you believe in. And so you don't think I should have been fired over my reference to Steve Bannon's anatomy? Shouldn't have been fired. <laughs> you know, look, I think different different places have different values. Our value is that you guys like voted me to come back player of the year the minute I came <laughs> out of you know, I was in love with you guys you know you yeah look we like people who have the have the guts and the balls to call it like it is and you know what's great about Barstool to your question about what's the secret sauce is the reason people love live sports is they don't know what's going to happen. And the reason they like bar they like Barstool Sports is it's really the same thing. You don't know what Dave's going to do next. You don't know what Big Cat is going to do next. You don't know what's going to be on the next episode of Pardon My Take. We are a constant conversation, whether it's about entertainment or you know, the internet or sports or people and personalities or celebrity. And the unexpectedness coupled with the authenticity, coupled with, I would guarantee that most people have someone inside of this company who reminds them of a friend of theirs and you're just like so-and-so and you love him one day and you hate him the next day. That keeps people very interested in, in us. Well, Erica, so you know, I am, I'm in that target demographic. Anthony's aged out slightly from that demographic that, that Barstool dominates. So I've followed Barstool for a long time. And, you know, I saw what you were describing earlier. Eric, I'm not going to let him get away with that. I, mean, I was going to say. I'm going to club him over the head a few times, okay? I'm not quite the big cat with my comebacks, but he's going to get a karate chop. Oh, he is. Adam's okay. Apple. As okay. soon as I see him, which will probably be in two years, I'm going to take <laughs> him out of the Adam's Apple. He won't even remember why. Okay. Continuing on with my question, yes, Anthony rudely interrupted me. You took what was sort of a ball of clay of great content, content that people love. There was a ton of brand loyalty there. But to your point, the website didn't work that well. They didn't do a great job with targeting advertisers and things like that. You came from an advertising background. And so I imagine you were salivating at the, at the possibility of turning Barstool from a great content engine into a business behemoth, which is what you've done, which we'll talk a little bit more about the, the latest funding that you guys got. But What's so powerful from an advertising perspective about that 18 to 34 year old demographic of which Barstool reaches one third of men and women in that demographic, which by the way, is more than vice and business insider. These, the advice is an example of one that's gotten a, a billion plus dollar valuation, but what's so powerful about that demographic. And when you came to Barstool, what was your plan for taking that great ball of content and molding it into a business behemoth? Yeah. Look, when I got to Barstool, there wasn't a PL. They didn't have email. They texted one another and they knew to blog every 30 minutes, but they had built a brand that stood for something that was very different. And that was a hard, single hardest thing to do. Most startups get funding, they build all the infrastructure, you make a great product, you figure out your distribution strategy, and then you worry about the content and the brand. Um, you know, look at Quibi, right? Quibi raised, I don't know, however much Quibi raised, $2 billion. And they built big lobbies and big production teams. And then nobody came. We had people that were coming. Um, but it was a really, truly, it wasn't a company per se. And it was single format. It was a blog. Um, there was, when I joined, I think Pardon My Take was in its, I want to say it had 
maybe six episodes. Like, pardon my take was new, new, new. Um, and what what I really did was to turn the gasoline on, build some infrastructure, create a PL, create a business, um, prop up a company, um, and to take what was happening. A blog is really what you're thinking and you're typing it into a CMS. A podcast is is the same thing. It's a it's you're just saying it. And what our team was really good at was creating conversation around every single piece of content that existed. Uh, we've always been good at that. I don't think anybody does social media better than we do. Um, but the advertising piece was important. Uh, the distribution piece was important. When I got to Barstool, I couldn't get anyone to come work here. I couldn't get anyone to give a meeting with us. I think we had four advertisers, but those four advertisers loved Barstool Sports for one reason, it worked. And Barstool Sports converts, like the same reason you're wearing a water dog, you know, a water dog shirt for the PLL, you're telling me it's because of Big Cat and PFT, like, People care what we do. When Big Cat says, I'm for the water dogs, you're for the water dogs. When Dave Portnoy says, I'm going to drink high noon, you're going to drink high noon. And so we've just built people who are very influential and it works, it works very well for brands. Because when you look at you know, an ad dollar, you take an ad dollar, you put it on Vice, you put it on BuzzFeed, you put it on Barstool Sports, you put it on NBC, CBS, Turner, Bleacher Report, you name it, the dollar on Barstool Sports is going to work 100 times harder than any of those dollars because you actually care what our people think and what they're doing and you feel like you know them. You feel a personal connection to Dave Portnoy, to Dan Katz, to Casey Smith, to Alex Cooper, to Wallow and Gilly, to Rhea and Fran. Like there's a personal connection. And as a result, our performance, whether it's for a platform, whether it's for a brand or a commerce partner is just dramatically and remarkably different. One of the interesting things that that you've done since you took over the company has helped, you know, grow it in a very uh, broad type of way using different types of platforms. So you didn't come in and you didn't say, let's, you know, blog instead of every 30 minutes, let's blog every 10 minutes. You said, you know what, let's do social media very well. Let's do podcasting very well. And I want to talk about the podcasting thing for a little bit. Barstool is the number four podcast publisher by monthly unique audience in the United States ahead of traditional heavyweights, including people like ESPN and even outside, people outside of the sports realm. Why has Barstool been so successful in that podcast medium and, and why have you emphasized it so much? Yeah, look, I, I love podcasting. When we first started really getting into podcasting and investing podcasting, people were still saying that podcasting would never be a real business. It wouldn't be a real industry. There was never going to be enough ad dollars or enough, you know, ears to make it worthwhile. Now, flash forward, you look at what Spotify is doing, you look at what Apple's about to do, you look at what Sirius XM and Liberty are doing. Like podcasting is real and it's here to stay. We were just very early. Um, I like podcasting because podcasting is ultimately based on personality and opinion. And we do that very well. We also have built, you know, what we have done that traditional media hasn't done is, you know, when Barstool had never had a small office in Massachusetts, but really hadn't had studios until we got to New York in 2016. 
Um, there also wasn't real company infrastructure until 2016. So when you look at most media companies, they're trying to break down legacy infrastructure and to build new infrastructure that will be socially distributed. We started with that infrastructure and we're on the cutting edge of that. So when we think about a podcast, it's not just a podcast, it's, a, it's video, it's franchises, it's segments, it's characters, it's personalities, it's t-shirts, it's live events. And so I think about it as like, it's just a way, another way for us to grow personality and opinion and another way for us to connect with fans um, in a medium that has a low barrier of entry and a low cost to produce. Yeah, and just to follow up on that, and you referenced it earlier, but I'm wearing a T-shirt for the Water Dogs, which is a premier lacrosse league team that is owned by one of your podcasts, Pardon My Take. And I'm a, a listener of Pardon My Take, and I also am a big fan of Paul Rabel, who started the, the PLL. Mm -hmm. And so when I listened to that podcast, I said, you know what, I want to support the cause and buy a T-shirt. It's back to your point about people not just you know, subliminally wanting to buy products that Barstool has advertisers for, but me actively wanting to support uh, that, that community. But I'll, I'll pass it over to Anthony for, uh, for the next question. I'm taking off my sports coat now that I've been embarrassed by your, fat, your Barstool fashion statements and <laughs> everything else that has been said here. Let's go to Penn National Gaming. Yeah. 36% of Barstool uh, value the company at a beautiful valuation. And it's a bet that Barstool can, can drive some of the rabid fan base over to the sponsored gaming business. What are your thoughts on that? And, and, and how do you feel about legalized gaming? What are Barstool and Penn Nationals plans to attack that market? Yeah, look, we're really excited about Penn National. We uh, have been talking, we, we crossed paths with them probably about a year ago today, a year ago at this point. Um, I'm a big believer in sports betting. Dave Portnoy is a big believer in sports betting. Same with Dan Katz. Um, these guys have been betting for years. And I think one of the things that is going to be very interesting about the legalization of sports betting in the US is that there's going to become a first generation of bettors. And I think that Barstool Sports and the Barstool Sportsbook can become that the leading brand in that our, our intention is to become you know a top three player in every state that we operate in we really liked Penn for a couple reasons they have a great management team jay snowden is their ceo he's fantastic um but they had a lot of things that we didn't have and we had things that they you know it was very complimentary they had physical casinos they're the largest retail casino operator in the u.s what they didn't have is a brand. What they don't have is expertise in digital and in media. And I think when you look ahead at sports betting, when you look at how the casino oper operators or the daily fantasy companies who've turned into sports betting companies, they're going to be spending their money on marketing. That, that is where the majority of their EBITDA will go. And when you look at a partnership with Barstool Sports, what they bought into is a brand that's beloved, that's been around for 15 years. Um, and they're, they're going to see a way of engaging consumers to bet, uh, to, to be loyal, to be deeply engaged, and, and, and also to be funny, to, to think about sports betting in a way that can be conversational, in a way that can be social, in a way that can be 
um, funny and irreverent. And, and I think that's really what we'll bring to the table for Penn. I think it's going to be an enormous business. I think when you look at young people and the way that they consume sports and engage and engage with sports, betting is going to be a very natural part of that. I, I, I think it's an amazing part of your story that, that uh, more people need to know about. In the in the context of uh, your market, like let's say we have uh, someone uh, asking us a question about marketing on Barstool, how do they get in touch with you guys? So they can, you know, obviously you can, our, my DMs are open, you can DM me, you can, you know, we have a fa fantastic partner team. Um, shout out Greth Lester, who's listening to this. So we have a, Deirdre Lester is our CRO. Um, we work with all types of companies, whether it's in the sports betting space and thinking about what we're doing in and around sports content, whether it's from an advertising perspective, a licensing perspective. So um, you can email us at, you know, advertising at barstoolsports.com or partnership at barstoolsports.com or you can DM me. Okay. Okay, great. Do you know who's going to own the Mets, Erica? I'm, I'm dying to know that. I'm hoping it's Alex Rodriguez. Okay, okay. And tell me why. Why do you want A-Rod? I, well, I love A-Rod. I'm, I'm an A-Rod girl. Um, look, a couple things. I think Alex... I, I'm a huge A-Rod fan as well. I had dinner with A-Rod you know, a year ago. I'm, okay. I'm a little more partial to Steve Cohen only because yep. we're my best friends and I have a lot of money. I think Steve it's Cohen's going to get it. Okay. So you think it's going to be Steve Cohen? Okay. I do. I'm sort of not allowed to talk about it 100. Yeah, percent I'm probably not. Should we, should we get into this either? But okay. Um, Let's go to A Rod for a second. You say you love A Rod. Why do you love A Rod? Because I think A Rod has had a huge comeback, and I think he is the man on broadcast announcing, and I think he knows a tremendous amount of baseball. And if he ends up owning a team, he'll add huge value to a baseball team. But let's yeah, go I agree. I think he has a bigger vision for baseball. Like he and I've talked about it a lot. Like I think. Look, what's interesting about, about Alex and Jennifer is they understand sports and entertainment. And sports is becoming entertainment and entertainment is becoming sport. Like that's just the reality. Everything is blending together. I think he has, you know, he's someone who has been on a journey. He's exceedingly curious. He is the only person who sits at Barstool Sports Fox and ESPN, like in and of itself, that's quite a feat. You don't, you don't see that happen ever. Um, and he's interested in, in, he obviously loves the game of baseball. He obviously understands media. I think he has a lot of ideas of how to bring new viewers and younger viewers in particular to the game. So, you know, that, that's why I like Alex. I think he's parlayed, you know, an incredibly, you know, stratospheric bar, uh, baseball career into a media and broadcast career into an investment career. Um, and, you know, hopefully, or, you know, one day into an ownership, into an ownership career. Erica, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, working at Barstool. It was somewhat, yeah. or it still is somewhat of a controversial website that people label with that misogyny tag. And so when you were named CEO, it was sort of a, a middle finger from Dave to everyone saying, listen, we, we are one of the only media companies out there with a female CEO. You're the only sports media company today to have an all-female C-suite. Why do you think Barstool is so controversial, and what have you learned about dealing with that criticism while working there? I don't think we're that controversial. I think that we... 
Look, I, I think we're a well-run company. I, I don't think our growth from, you know, $5 million in revenue, you know, neighborhood of $5 million to, you know, Oh, you know, nearly $120 million in revenue in four years is an accident. It wasn't happenstance that that happened. We're a well-run company. We have a good way of doing business. We have a very strong management team. Um, we're the only company, not just in sports, but in entertainment media with the profile of an exec team uh, that resembles ours. It's diverse, it's female-led, like you just don't see that right now. Um, I think the reason people think Barstool Sports is controversial is we're, we're in general at the crosshairs and we're becoming increasingly at the crosshairs of exactly what you guys are investing in and talking about. News, sports, entertainment, the internet, politics, uh, local events, celebrity. Like we are talking about whatever it is people are talking about, looking at, or listening to. And we are doing it with very strong opinion from very influential personalities. And as a result, when we have an opinion, there's naturally an equal and opposite opinion to that. And, and I think that that's one reason people think Barstool Sports is controversial. I don't think Barstool Sports is controversial by design, I think it's opinionated. Uh, and vocal by design. I think the other reason we are very interesting and talked about is that we're a company that has a history and we're a company where uh, these guys have called it, you know, they've, they've been making jokes. They've been in the comedy space for 16 years at this point. Most of that content still lives on the internet. Um, and when you look at most companies and most brands, the stuff that they were doing five years ago, three years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago is gone because the things that were, you know, considered appropriate, the things that were considered funny, um, the type of dialogue, the type of humor that was permissible has changed. And we still have that history out there. And I think that personally, that's what makes, is in part what makes Barstool Sports compelling because it's very real. Uh, anyone who is enjoying our content for the most part was alive 16 years ago. They were making their own content. They were saying their own things. We're different in that the cameras have been on um, and we're different in that, that we recognize that this is, you know, this is a reality show as much as it is anything else. And a lot of that content and a lot of that opinion and a lot of those jokes, um, you know, still, still are out there. It's almost one of those things where people have in their mind that you're controversial because they watch some program that convinced them you were controversial. But if they were to point to any individual instances, they would probably struggle to find something that was particularly controversial. But I want to talk a little bit about Barstool's ability to dominate sort of the pop, pop culture zeitgeist. So the COVID pandemic is a perfect example. You have Big Cat, who's one of your personalities for people who aren't familiar with Barstool, he started playing an old video game that he had, you know, in his living room, NCAA football 2014. And he turned that into, he became the largest streaming Twitch personality sort of on that platform. He had something like 200,000 people watching him at, at one time, watching him play that video game. Um, and then you have Dave Portnoy, the founder of Barstool, has become Davey Day Trader Global. We're on CNBC. It's hard to watch CNBC for a day without them talking about Dave Portnoy and what he's done to create this legion of sort of retail traders that are trading while they can't 
bet on sports during the pandemic. So what do you think about, what do you think it is about Dave and about Big Cat and the team and the personalities you have there that are so, they're so good at drawing on, you know, those little things and becoming sort of those on the fly phenomenons. Yeah, it's hard. I, mean, I just think they're insanely talented. Um, you know, Dave's, you know, Dave Portnoy's dream when he, when we opened up our office in New York was that uh, <clears throat> if you were funny, instead of applying to Saturday Night Live, you would send your resume to Barstool Sports. And I think we're there. I think if you are funny and you want to build a brand for yourself and you want to be part of something very creative, um, we're, we're, we're as good as it gets. Um, I also think our, you know, Dan, Dave, two phenomenal examples of just incredibly captivating personalities who made a lot of content in a time when there was no resource. So when you look at big media and you look at the pandemic, those personalities were, were kind of stuck. The studios weren't open. You couldn't, you couldn't liaise with your producer. You didn't have your set. There was no infrastructure. And we're a company that has had very little production infrastructure. We have a very unlayered approach to production and so as a result when our office closed these guys had what they always had from the beginning you have the internet and at, you also have complete creative freedom to do what is interesting to you and you know for dave dave was missing betting so he took after the stock market like you truly cannot watch cnbc for a day or read anything about trading and not see dave mentioned this is something he picked up, you know, in March of this year. It was like, I'm going to figure out day trading. Dan took a different approach and said, hey, I'm going to play NCAA 14 and I'm going to invent this, you know, big fat coach named Coach Duggs. And you have, you know, 160,000 people watching him live every night, like as big as like multiple stadiums are watching an NCAA video game football game on Twitch with Dan. So, you know, I think it's partly it's the ingenuity of the people who are here. Partly it's the freedom to create, you know, for the most part, whatever they want. And I think the third part of it is a, a very complete comfort in making content with very little resource and very little production and very little infrastructure. Well, I got to compliment Dave Portnoy because I watched that entire interview with President Trump and I don't know David, but I do know the president. And I thought he captured a lot of what the president is about. And uh, and and I, well, I always say to people, if you, if, you, if you like the president or you dislike the president, don't demonize him because he's another human being like everybody else. And then you just have to look at him qualitatively and objectively and assess if you if you want him in that role. But I thought Dave captured his personality. And so so kudos to him. And it's an interesting thing to do coming from Barstool Sports, because you've got the White House is the largest fish tank or aquarium in the world, and here comes Barstool and the great maverick Dave Portnoy, and he's all of a sudden opening up a sleeve into something that other people would not have seen without him. So I give you a lot of credit on that. Um, but I want to ask a meta question, if that's okay. And I know John has a couple more questions for you before, before we break. Uh, and this is about it's sort of the five-year question. Now, we all got the five-year question wrong. If I asked you in 2015, 
what were you going to be doing late July 2020? It is not sitting in your house mm-hmm. with a mask on walking outside. I don't think you would have gotten that right, Erica. No. Nobody that I know has gotten that question right. But the five-year question going forward for Barstool, where is it? What happens to token CEO? What happens to your programming? Uh, you're a visionary. What does it look like in 2025? Yeah, that's hard. Like we've, um, I think you will see, I think you'll see a couple things. In 2025, you know, my hope is we are a extremely dominant player in sports betting. Um, I think you're going to see that from us, that we have not only like created the playing field, but we have really built something very durable and very robust and high performing and valuable. Um, So I think you're going to see us be a powerhouse in sports betting. I think in five years, the way people watch sports is going to be dramatically different than it is now. I think all the rights deals will change. I think who is broadcasting, what will change. Uh, I think who you listen to when you're watching live sports is going to change. And, And I would bet that some of the voices you're going to want to listen to are from Barstool Sports. And we will be in that game uh, is the second place I think you'll see us be. I think you, you, you had that moment with ESPN. You almost had a full Scaramucci with ESPN. I mean, a full Scaramucci. We had a one night stand with ESPN. Yeah, you know, a full Scaramucci is 11 days. I think you got yeah, to. we didn't even make that. Out of a Scaramucci. I think you got yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. any chance to reset that ever? No. Ever going back? No. Not in that way. Yeah. Because it's not in our interest, to be totally frank with you. Like, if you look at, you know, it was great to have the chance to do a show on ESPN. I loved that. That was great for us. Um, same with we did, you know, we had one of the highest rated Super Bowl shows uh, on Comedy Central the year before. So it was great for us to play with television. Television is in decline. And... You know, when you look at, you know, when you look at a show at 1 a.m. on a secondary network, I'm not sure I would do that today because we're bigger than that show just by turning on the lights in the video game. So I think that our world has changed from where we were in 2017. And I think, you know, network and cable television has changed from where where it was in, in, in 2016 and 2017, which is why I think in five years... You know, when you look at the leagues, they want to be in a place where they're going to get the biggest amount of eyeballs. And those sports franchises are worth more in five years? Yes. Tell me why. Because I I think live sports is the single most valuable thing on television, bar none. Because you, it's but, but also cross platforms, right? It's it, it's it's valuable on streaming. It's valuable on the internet. It's valuable. It doesn't on matter people. where you put it; people it matter, will come right? watch it. So it's it's a it's almost like the Swiss Army knife of programming. Completely. It doesn't it I mean, I'm a Patriots fan. I don't give a shit what network the Patriots are playing on. Not to be I mean, she was a Patriots fan. How could you not tell me she was a Patriots fan? <laughs> well, who are you a fan? Well, I knew you were a Patriots fan. I knew you, I knew you grew up in New Hampshire. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a suffering Met Jet. Ugh. Nick and Ranger fan, okay? And I hate going to Logan Airport for the, you know the reasons why I hate going to Logan Airport. You guys do that at the shuttle 
for yeah. us New Yorkers. Okay? We it, do. It, it, it causes tremendous pain seeing 26 championships up yeah, there. Just a little kiss when you come to into town. Yeah, well, I said when you're leaving, too. I mean, it's oh. a PSA nightmare for me in Boston. It is true. But anyways, it doesn't matter. If you're, if you're watching your Jets lose, you, could, you don't care where you're going to watch them. I mean, you'd like to see them win. But what you're going to be able to do in five years' time is you want to listen to the game in Spanish, you want to listen to Big Cat, you want to listen to Chris Collinsworth, like you're going to get your choice. And I think that's where the world gets very interesting. Look at, you know, John's wearing a PLL water dog shirt. The water, the PLL was Washington behind him, but he's wearing the water dog shirt. You know, he's a very complex guy. America. You know, there's a lot of psychiatrists. There's a lot going on there. A lot of psychiatrists would like to get in there and figure out what's going on. Trust me. Completely. But, you know, that's a league that was created, you know, two years ago. So it's brand new. Like, so, you know, I I think in five years, the way we watch sports, the way we engage with sports, who's commenting on sports, who has the rights to to sports will change. And, And you will see us be a part of that. I think you'll also see us get physical and you will see you know, if you look at one bite, right, we have the largest database of pizza in the world. Uh, We have an app where people review pizza hundreds and hundreds of times a day. And why don't we have a pizza restaurant? Should we have a pizza restaurant? Should we be making pizza? So I think those are the places you're going to see us be in five years. All right. We're going to leave it there. We could do this for a couple hours, I think. I'm fascinated by the growth of Barstool. You know, you, you grew it from a scrappy little blog and a, a leaflet that Dave Portnoy handed out on mass transit in Boston to a $450 million media empire. And I think you're still just scratching the surface. I think people, when they saw that number, they said, oh, my goodness, what's going on? But I think, you know, the value that you create inside of Penn National and what you can do to become sort of the leading player in the, in the online gambling space is, is unlimited. The potential is unlimited, especially in an environment where states are trying to generate revenue and are probably going to accelerate that timeline in, term, in terms of legalized gambling. Yep. But Thank thanks you. so much for joining us, Erica. Maybe we'll have to do this again in the near future, uh, maybe after Anthony goes back on Pardon My Take. I know he's been, he's been itching to get back on. But, uh, We're not going to be back on My Take. I was the man of the moment for that moment. But I, make sure you tell – Dan, the big cat, that, that was a lot of fun for me. And uh, and in a, in a lot of ways, uh, every time I walk in the airport, if there's a 20-year-old, they say, oh, my God, you are on part of my take. So I <laughs> That's great. how powerful your messaging and your medium is. And congratulations to all you guys. You built a, Thank you. You built a fantastic business. And uh, even though I'm outside of the demographic, as John has pointed out seven times since we started, I am one of your uh, big time customers. And so just by a couple awesome. years, just by a couple That's years, cool. we'll take them. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens to him when he gets to my age. Okay. I'm going right. to, and by the way, since I'll be controlling all the Botox supply in America by then, you're going to look like S H I T. Okay. Let's just put it that way. Erica, you can have as much Botox as you want, but you Thank probably you. need it. I do. I enjoy right. it. Well, God, God bless you, Erica. Let's stay in touch. Okay. Hopefully okay. We, hope we can get you to the salt conference one year. I would love that. I think you guys would enjoy that. We do get a lot of cross-section of athletes. Uh, we had Kobe a few years ago who gave an amazing speech, uh, and we obviously miss him a great deal. Uh, thank you, Erica, and, and we wish you the best. Stay safe and healthy. Great. Thank you, guys.